The scripture is taken from Luke 2, 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. When we think about these qualities of Advent, the candles that we light, candles like hope and joy and peace, we do so because those are qualities that we still need, don't we? And I would say even more so in the last few years. With all the upheaval and illness and everything we've experienced over the last several years now, qualities like joy and peace seem to be some of the most elusive qualities, I think. But part of how we experience those qualities is by not thinking about them being an emotion that's just a feeling, but feelings that are rooted in a reality. For instance, if Mary treasured and pondered the things that she heard from the shepherds, That would grant her peace, right? And I think peace comes when we celebrate what God has already done, that Jesus has already come. And we can be rooted in peace in that reality in the midst of the highs and lows of life. When I think about joy and the candle of joy, that is that, you know, the angel's announcement points not only to Jesus' birth, but also points us forward. Our faith is a faith of expectation. It's a faith about waiting, but it's not a passive waiting. It's a faith waiting in anticipation and expectation of the joy we will know in its fullness when Jesus comes back, when we get to see him face to face, and when all that is wrong with the world now will one day be made right. I think of the joy of the angels' announcement. Recall that the angels at this point had already announced the birth of the John, uh, the birth of John the Baptist, who would prepare the way and bring the hope of the Messiah in Jesus. The, the angel Gabriel had already announced to Mary that Jesus would be born and that she would be the mother of the Savior. The angel had gotten to do several birth announcements, but now this birth announcement is one of abundance and of fullness. And speaks into the present reality and everyday life that ordinary, everyday people like shepherds experience. 
Just think of the shepherds before the joyful announcement of the angels. They were living out in the field nearby Bethlehem, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And so what we can say is that the joy of the angels' announcement of Jesus' birth comes into the ordinary and everyday reality. Recall that shepherds were not well thought of in Jesus' day. They were actually classified as thieves. They were seen as robbers. They didn't have a fixed residence, and they often stole from other people. They weren't allowed into the city and weren't allowed to speak in a court of law. Shepherds were seen as some of the most lowly people in Jesus' day. So instead of, and here's the great paradox, the announcement of the birth of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords taking place in a palace, like Caesar Augustus' birth was announced among royalty in the Roman Senate, the announcement of Jesus' birth comes to the poor and lowly of society, those doing their day job, or in this case, (laughs) having uh, overnight hours as they were watching over their sheep at night. But it may be that these shepherds already had a place and lived out of a place of devotion and ready to hear the good news. We don't know exactly where they were spiritually. But what we can say is rather than this birth announcement coming to religious and civil leaders of Jesus' day who were supposed to be the people's shepherds longing for the Messiah, the announcement came first to these shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their sheep at night. The most obvious implication then is that the gospel came first to the social outcasts of Jesus' day. And this will be a reoccurring emphasis in Luke's gospel. He often lifts, lifts up the poor and the needy as being of special attention to the Lord. It shows that he cares. He cares about all people, longing to draw them into a relationship with himself. We also know from biblical background in the Old Testament that David was called from a shepherd's life to be the king of Israel. And so there's a role here they have to play, not of shepherding animals, but of shepherding people, of pointing people to hope and joy and peace. Finally, in both the Old and New Testaments, shepherds often symbolized all the ordinary people who have joyfully received the gospel and in some ways become people who communicate the gospel, and the good news to other people. But these shepherds probably played a very special role. We know that in the temple, sheep were slaughtered and sacrificed morning and evening, every day. And that the sheep that were used in temple sacrifices were kept just outside of Bethlehem. So it is very likely that these shepherds were the ones who looked after the temple lambs. And these were the ones that would first see the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. God uses the poor and lowly of society to play great roles at times, lifting people up from obscurity like David to leadership and ability to reflect the Lord in ways that are unique to them. But what the message brings to us is a reality that God loves us and cares about us. He wants us to know these qualities of hope and joy and peace. And the joy of the angels came through their appearance to the shepherds that night. They appeared to them. The glory of the Lord shone around them. And not to our surprise, they were terrified. Wouldn't you be? If you're out in the dark just going about your ordinary, everyday business, 
keeping track of sheep, and all of a sudden, the angel of the Lord shone, and the glory of the Lord shone around you. The amazing reality is to those whom God appears through the angels. The way God shines his light to people, and the way he transforms people out of places of fear, worry, and uncertainty, and into places of joyful faith and trust. The joy of the angel was not just in his appearance, but in his announcement. You see, when the angel says, do not be afraid, the reason they did not need to be afraid was the announcement that was coming. I bring you great news, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. You see, the reason, as Tim Keller talks about in his book, Hidden Christmas, that they did not need to fear was because of the message that was to follow. If we accept the good news, the good tidings that are told, it should end fear. We should not fear. Why? The verse verse before says that the shepherds were terrified. And at first glance, again, this shouldn't be an unusual response. We would assume that anyone who had this experience would be afraid. But something more is going on here. In the Bible, people always experience traumatic anxiety and fear when they got near God. And that fear and that reality of fear is really as a result of the fall. In the fall of humankind and Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, there was a fear of being near the holiness of God. And so in their nakedness, they hid from God in their shame. They covered themselves with fig leaves to be kind of protected and separated from God. They hid in the garden, and they were afraid of the Lord's presence. Fear comes up when we encounter a holy God, and we should be fearful in a way. But that fear can be transformed when we understand the good news, that that holy God has chosen to come and live among us, to come and and be born in humble circumstances, to come and be seen in such a way that shepherds could see and perceive the good news of this message. The angels worked to overcome the shepherds' fear and announce the good news. And if we really understand the nature of this good news, we can accept that same message. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. I bring you good news of great joy. Because this wasn't just any birth announcement. This was the transformation of the world that God was bringing about. The good news that we have not been left to our own selves and our own devices. We are not left to try to save ourselves We have been shown mercy and grace. The joy of the angels spilled out into the lives of the shepherds because they could see and perceive that they were loved, welcomed, and that they were allowed a place at Jesus' birth. Why do we tend to fear? We tend to fear rejection and failure. But if you were completely filled with God's love, you would not care what other people thought of you, because you were so rooted in the reality of your Savior's love for you. If we understood this message in its completion, we would not fear the future and circumstances, 
Because if you know God perfectly and that he is good and that he is in control, we would be enabled to trust him. And you wouldn't be afraid of death because you would know you would be with him forever. That death does not have the last word, but God does. And he lifts us up and through his love and sacrifice in Christ. When God's glory appears here among the shepherds, it accentuates or intensifies the the fearfulness they might have in being alienated from God. But the message is you don't need to fear anymore because look, I'm showing you that there is a new reality. There is a God who loves you and cared for you and has now come for you. And if you understand his great act of love and coming to this earth and wrapping up his arms around you, much like Jesus is wrapped up with the blankets, we would be, feel that sense of comfort and safety that we so often long for. Our fearfulness would be shifted into a perceiving of a new and deeper reality in the world, that a Savior has been born, a Savior. Because he came to save us, we no longer need to try to save ourselves. And unfortunately, there are many different ways that we might try to separate ourselves from God. Sometimes we intentionally separate ourselves from God in our sinful acts, choosing to try to comfort or soothe ourselves and and, and kind of experience a peace that we think will come through some ordinary human means or some way that we can satisfy ourselves in, in more immediacy. But there's also a way that we can try to separate ourselves, and that's through our own good actions. Attempting to be good ourselves, attempting to be right ourselves, to do it the work of salvation ourselves. The announcement of Jesus' birth is an announcement and a recognition that we need a Savior. Because if we didn't need him, he wouldn't have come. But because we do need him, and because we do need forgiveness for our sin, he came and justified us in and through his own coming and his own living in his own dying. The announcement is that a Savior has been born, and that is meant to transform everything. The good news also includes the fact that he is Christ the Lord. And if he is Lord, the good news is we don't need to try to be. And I don't know about you, but there's many ways that I know, intentionally, unintentionally, that I try to be my own Lord. Our attempts at controlling circumstances around us, Controlling things so that we have an internal sense of peace ourselves are, again, self-righteous attempts at leading our own lives instead of surrendering and letting go and allowing God to be the Lord. You see, the longer we try to maintain control over our circumstances and situations, the more we will fail to experience the peace and joy that God wants to offer. The more we let go, and receive what he alone has to give, the more we will be able to rest in him and be renewed in these qualities and characteristics that ultimately only he can give. You see, peace and joy, hope, these qualities and characteristics of Advent aren't qualities or characteristics we drum up ourselves. They're qualities and characteristics that we receive as God imparts them to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. They're fruits of the Spirit, aren't they? Not fruits of our own creation. They're fruits of God-giving love and joy and peace. Capture the fact that the fruit of the Spirit are 
the Advent candles, aren't they? Of love and joy and peace. Hope might be outside of that list. But they're all qualities and characteristics that we are told from Scripture are imparted from God to us, not generated from within us. As we light these candles, may we think of the fact that these are qualities and characteristics that God enlightens within us. He is the one that brings these qualities and characteristics. They're not ones that we have of ourselves. The announcement that the angels made then to the shepherds of glory to God and the highest was a joyful announcement. Peace and goodwill to men imparts the peace and qualities that we need to know in the midst of the uncertainty of life. And the good news of this particular sign to the shepherds that Jesus would be seen and placed in a manger wrapped in swaddling clothes was that Jesus comes in a way that shepherds could see and perceive and understand. And I believe he still wants to come and be present to us in ways that we can see and perceive and understand and ultimately receive ourselves. He doesn't want us to be uncertain. He wants us to experience peace and joy that is rooted in the reality of who he is and what he has done. That he is a God who comes into the mess and muddle of real life. Doesn't stand outside of us and be off separated among palace halls. A king who doesn't know the reality and the condition of his people, but a king who comes to live among us. A king who comes to live and experience our circumstances and situations, and one who even took on our pain and sorrow as a result of our sin. Christmas means that through the grace of God and the incarnation of Christ, peace with God is available. And if you make peace with God, then you can go out and make peace with other people. If you experience that quality, you will know the joy of God's embrace of you in love. Christmas means, therefore, both an increase of peace and an increase of joy, that Jesus is the perfect mediator between estranged parties, between us and God. And when we experience that reconciliation with God that he desires, we will know joy. You see, the peace that God imparts through the angel's announcement leads to an overflow of joy for the shepherds and their announcement. Notice that they hurried off to go and see Jesus. They didn't just walk and think, yeah, or put it on their calendar and say, hey, let's go visit Jesus on Tuesday. No, it says they hurried off. There was great excitement and anticipation. There was joy that they wanted to go and see and experience There they found Mary, Joseph, and the baby who was lying in the manger. I love that they go and they see for themselves. And as a pastor who proclaims the good news of Jesus, what I want to say to you is don't just trust my word for it. Trust it because it's God's word, first and foremost. But trust it in going and seeing yourself. Investigate the scriptures. Read the gospels. Don't just allow the story and its familiarity to sort of pass over through the preaching of the word and hearing These scriptures sung, allow these words to become pondered in your life. Treasure these words like Mary. Allow them to become a part of who you are, and then you will experience the qualities of peace and joy that they can impart. 
When the shepherds had seen him, seen Jesus, we are told that they spread the word concerning what had been told about to them about this child. In other words, they did not just receive it for themselves. They hurried off. They saw the signs and they knew that what the angel had said was true because they saw it in flesh for themselves, but they could not keep this message to themselves. It said this, the shepherds spread the word concerning what they had seen. They conveyed to others what the angels had told them. And they added to their own eyewitness testimony to the message. In other words, their message and their proclamation became about what the angels had told them and what they had seen for themselves, that the angels' message was true. A baby had been born and placed in a manger. But their experience of him also became part of what they told. It wasn't just the facts of what had happened. It wasn't just what they had been told by the angels. It was about their own reality and experience. This can be true for each one of us who encounter the presence of Jesus and accept and welcome his coming, not only to this world, but into our own hearts and lives. And when we do that, our lives can be transformed in such a way that we have a story to tell. I heard one of these stories told this past Thursday. As many of you know, uh, we started a Fellowship of Christian Athletes group on the Nevada Union High School campus. And on Thursday, we had uh, Otis Amy come and visit us. Otis is a former San Francisco 49er, and he happens to be a regional director for Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And he had an amazing story to tell. And I want to share this with you briefly through this video. My goal, my identity was completely wrapped up in pursuing uh, what I wanted to do since the age of seven, which was to play in the NFL. And I actually pointed to the screen at the age of seven, watched ESPN and said, I'm going to play for the San Francisco 49ers. That's a true story. Uh, So I went through Pop Warner, went through the ranks in high school. I was going to go to pretty much any college I wanted to go to out of high school, um, but got hurt right before we played De La Salle. So the only school that still honored that full ride was Sacramento State. At that time, still didn't have a relationship with God. Entered into the typical athlete lifestyle, just working out, going to parties, things of that nature. And uh, it took somebody, they just invited me to church one day, and I was like, sure, okay, I'll, I'll come to church. And it completely revolutionized what I thought about God and what I thought about Jesus get to the point to where my last year in college, uh, I noticed a lot of NFL teams are coming to practice watching. Uh, my coach said that they're here, they're, they're watching you. And I, they're watching me? Okay, cool. Then I entered to the NFL draft. I was told I was going to get drafted in the third through the fifth round. And the 49ers coach calls me and says, son, we're thinking about drafting in the seventh round, but if not, would you want to come as a free agent? So I'm like, sure. The uh, very first game that I ever played in, coach comes up to me and says, son, um, how would you feel about starting tomorrow at punt return? And I'm like, uh, sh- sure. It's 9-11, sold out, first game on TV, nationally televised, 64,000 people. It's my first time I jog it onto the field. I'm like, what is going on? It's real. I'm actually not even paying attention. I'm looking at my mom and my fiance in the bleachers, and I'm like, hey, mom, how you doing? And all of a sudden, out of my peripheral, I see the ball in the air. I don't look at anybody running at me. I'm just thinking, Jesus, please let me catch it. As soon as I catch it, there's a guy, probably about 6'4", 260, right here. And I make a move on him, and he misses. All I remember is seeing the punter uh, as the last person coming up, and our rule in football has always been you can't let the punter tackle you. I made him miss, 
and there's 50 yards left, and I'm just running, not even considering that I might score. 10 yards left, I look back, and no one else is around. I cross the end zone. All I could think to do is go like this. And so two years later, I'm sitting at my house. I'm no longer in the NFL. I was looking at YouTube, and I watched that video of me scoring, and then I looked at the paper next to my laptop, and it was a picture of me doing this. It was in the front page of the entire paper. And right there, I realized that I only had any success in my life because of him. But at that moment, in front of my computer screen, um, I gave my life to Christ. I completely surrendered. I broke down and in, uh, welcomed him into my heart. A real relationship through football. God revealed my humanity to me, how much that I desperately need him on a daily basis. Uh, and, and I love him. He, 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 he brought me to him <laughs> watching a YouTube video. God loves you no matter what you've done, um, no matter what you may currently be doing, no matter what you will do in the future, is that he loves you. His arms are open, waiting for you to come home. No matter what, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And he also says in John 3, 16, whosoever, so it doesn't matter who you are, if you will accept that free gift, then you can enter into eternity through faith in Christ. My name is Otis Amy, and I play for him. What a powerful story. And uh, I can tell you that uh, the 40 or so students that were in that classroom and heard Otis's uh, testimony in person were just had this rapt attention. But it's not so much the certain you know, dynamics uh, necessarily that take place. It's not playing for the 49ers or necessarily having a spectacular testimony as much as understanding and just receiving that reality for ourselves. When we hear about how people responded to the joyful uh, news, we see that all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And my hope and prayer is that the message today has a sense of amazement for you in a new and fresh way. It is an old, old story, but it should amaze us each and every time we hear it because of the depth of God's love and commitment to us. But also it's something to be treasured and pondered like Mary, to be received at a deeper level and not be allowed to just pass over our heads. And finally, if we receive this news, if we know this joy, It should be something like the shepherds that we're willing to tell other people about. That amazement, that treasuring, that pondering, that going and telling of the good news of Jesus' birth doesn't come through the commercialization of Christmas. It comes through communion with God. It can't come through the fact that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he's given us communion as a means of experiencing his presence, to know that he is with us still, that he wasn't just with the world that night. He wasn't just with the world the the 30 years or so Jesus walked this earth. He wasn't just with the world on the cross when he died. He is with us now, in and through his resurrection, and in and through the present reality that he gave his body and that he shed his blood for us. (laughs) 